What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Sheehan Show here on Sherdog.com. My name is Sean Sheehan, and today I am previewing the very first UFC card of 2024. Goes down in the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada on January 13th. It's UFC Fight Night 234, Ankalaya versus Walker 2. And you know what? It's a pretty good card. I think a lot of the Fight Night cards in 2023 were... Uh, a little bit underwhelming, or they had one big car- a big fight on top of the card, and maybe one more that we kind of cared about. But on this, there's a good few prospects. Watching even some of the, the newer guys coming through with maybe only one fight in the UFC or making their UFC debut. I think I think there's only one fighter uh, making their, their debut today, but all of quality. There's a lot, a lot of good quality fighters uh, on this. So I'm going to take a look uh, in depth at the main card here, and I'm going to give you some facts and figures, uh, and 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 my opinions on some of the uh, undercard fighters as well. Because there's one undercard fight in particular that um, I think I think we we roll forward a year, maybe even less, and I don't think it's a uh, it's an undercard fight anymore because these two lads are very very good. But we will get to that. Let's start off with the main event, and it's the rematch between Ankalaev and Walker. Went back and watched the first fight uh, earlier today, and honestly, uh, is there much to take from it? I, I don't really think so. It ended very, very quickly. It was only three minutes into the fight. Um, there wasn't there wasn't that much thrown. There wasn't that much landed. I know some people at the time were kind of saying, oh, maybe Ankalaev was, was shown the better Mm, he, I suppose it comes down to what happened with that that shot where Johnny Walker kind of fell down and then jumped up. Like, was he hurt or was he playing possum? I'm not so sure. But I suppose let's analyze it like we analyzed it uh, before that fight or analyze it straight up based on, on both of them. Um, I think there are two very intriguing fighters to analyze because... I think they've both kind of changed their ways over the last while, especially Johnny Walker, like massively Johnny Walker. You know, obviously training in my home country of Ireland here with SBG, he's kind of adjusted his game from an all-out madman to now a more um, choreographed, jabbing, uh, defensively sound fighter. Now, defensive, well, the more defensively sound I suppose than it was before. It's very hard to be defensively sound at light heavyweight or heavyweight, you know, where lads are hitting you so hard. But you get me. He's he's a less um, offensive monster than he once was. But him being an offensive monster caused him so many losses, caused him so many defeats that maybe you wouldn't expect from Johnny Walker. And since he's kind of changed his ways, he has looked really, really, really good. Like even, you know, the the loss to Thiago Santos, I suppose, was was one of those fights where um, you think it's going in the right direction. You know, if you perform like that again with a few improvements, you'll start winning fights. And that was the case. You know, obviously he lost to Jamal Hill, which was, was a massive setback. And Jamal Hill, we, we know how good he uh, is. But then he went down a three-five win streak after that, beating Kutalaba, Craig, uh, and Anthony Smith. And I suppose Smith, by a decision, showed that long game that he can fight now. And then we had, obviously, Ankalaev, uh, no contest. So, oh, Interesting how Johnny Walker has changed. Ankalaev then on the other side of it, watching him is he's a very intriguing guy to watch. Like I've watched him many times down through the years and, and talked about him on different preview shows and, and reaction shows, I suppose. And I think what makes Ankalaev special is that he possesses, I suppose, a skill set that not many people over 185 pounds possess. And 
that is, I suppose, being a technical good fighter. <laughs> not, ma- not many people over 185 pounds have that. Now, we have obviously some exceptions, likes of Pereira, Adesanya, Jones and all, but we don't have many exceptions. A lot of the guys base it on their uh, athleticism. A lot of the guys base it on their power. A lot of guys base it on maybe if they have a really good wrestling game. But Ankalaev is a good all-round technical fighter. Um, he, I would describe him as a southpaw counter-striker. He pressures you in to draw you out, to counter you. You know, I, I really believe that that kind of that pressure counter-striker is something that, uh, look, it was always the case in, in mixed martial arts, and I'm sure boxing as well, but it's something that's really become effective in the last 10 years in MMA. Obviously, McGregor was one of, one of the, the foremost people in the world at doing that really good at that. And we see people at the very top now, you know, Barrera, uh, is, is pretty good at it. We saw how he kind of knocked out Strickland, uh, you know, pushed someone back, wait for them to come out and encounter them, and many more as well. Um, the one thing I would say for Ankalaev is, like, it's very easy to see where he's at his best and at his worst. So where's he at his best? He's at his best when doing exactly what I said there, pressuring you, drawing out your mistakes and countering them, and literally countering the mistakes. You make a mistake, he'll punch you in the face and, and knock you out, basically. But it's when he gets wild... It's his issue. So, you know, I've, I've kind of said they've, they've both changed a little bit. And that wildness is something that both of them have maybe taken away. Like, I think Ankalaev at a lower level, he was able to throw with a little bit more reckless abandon because he could. But I think the higher he's gotten, he's realized that that's not going to work at all. Um, and look, the same for, for Walker, but in a... Uh, extremely more outwardly way you know you wouldn't ever kind of look at Ankalaev and think oh that's a wild fighter but when it gets wild is when he has trouble I think um but when he's composed he's brilliant um and when he fails he loses that so he's a, a very interesting fighter to look at he's a strong kicker and I think he doesn't kick enough and that that is the bit for Ankalaev that the the control the technical aspect of his game um is almost at a ceiling because I feel like he just needs to do another little bit. But there's a fine line, isn't there, between uh, I criticise him getting wild is because uh, because of that's, that's the point in which he gets into trouble. But then when you don't do enough, that, that, you know, there's another fighter later down the card who we talk about who's a similar type of fighter in Manel Cape. Um, and he, I think very similar, in fact, you have to find that fine line. You're all, you're almost better off in in most fights throwing a few more, throwing a few more keeps, throwing a few more punches. But against Johnny Walker, are you? I, I don't know. So that, maybe that's the next question that we can answer. How does this fight go? What do these lads do? Um, I, I really, I really don't know to be honest because if Walker plays the more precise technical game that's really playing into Ankalaev's game but if Ankalaev says too composed doesn't throw enough shots you know you're almost playing into what Walker wants to do then because you're not going that you know five percent uh up that you need to to actually take away this fight from uh Walker so there's a there's a real fine line there's a real fine line for both of them I feel like if Ankalaev can find a place where he can hit Walker and not turn it into a brawl it's it's really going to benefit him. But the weird thing about Walker is he now no longer wants it to turn into a brawl. But the next question is, if you're John Cavanaugh, if you're Johnny Walker, you look at Ankalaev, and I'm sure he's seen bits of pieces of what I've seen. And now, 
when I say what um, Ankalaev doesn't isn't good when he gets wild, it's not that he's bad or anything like that. But I think he's less good than he normally is. But with that said, if I've seen little bits and pieces of that, I'm sure Walker has. I'm sure Johnny, uh, uh, John, uh, Johnny Walker and John Kavanaugh have seen it, and you know Will Flory and Carol Moore and them lads he trains with. If they, if they've watched some of, uh, some of the the back fights of Ankalaev, I'm sure they've seen that. And if you're Johnny Walker and you're like you're a really good wild fighter, now sometimes defensively, obviously it turns against you. But if you see someone who has flaws when they get wild, you're brilliant wild, should you not want to make that a wild fight? Now, your problem is if you make it a wild fight, you could get caught by a big Ankalaev left hand or whatever it might be, and that's it. Uh, but that's the chance you take. Like, is that a better game plan than playing a technical game with a fighter who's really good technically and is really good at playing the slower pace as well, even though I would like him to, you know, maybe go up another 10, 15%? That's that's the question, I suppose, and that's the question both of these guys will uh, will have to answer as the this fight um, uh, this fight comes around. Um, we, I suppose, you know, what's the answer to it? We will see. I, you know, I I I I'm gone very bad at giving my picks. To be honest, I don't like giving my picks for MMA fights anymore because I love just breaking them down and I just I love just talking about what's going to happen, but. Uh, my pick for this fight, when looking at their last few fights, right? Uh, so Ankalaev had a draw with Blahovic. We leave out their last fight, obviously. And then he beat Smith, Santos, Odzimir, Krilov, Kutalaba a couple of times, and then more after that. Whereas Johnny Walker, I mentioned earlier, Smith, Craig, Kutalaba, and then lost to Hill, lost to Santos, beat Span, beat Krilov. Um, it feels like neither of them have really fought a carbon copy of the other fighter right the closest though i think is angelaya fighting the likes of Ozemir, who's a little bit wild or santos who can be wild not necessarily in 2022 when they did fight but kutalaba and things as well the dim guys can be i feel like there's a little bit more uh for that in what angelaya has done now will that be a major part of it i'm not too sure but also you look at angelaya you look at the fact that he has nine knockouts fighting the way he fights that's that's not a great sign, I don't think, for Johnny Walker. So, I look, I, I'm drawing a pick out of me here. And Goliath is the big favorite. The bookies aren't off and wrong, and uh, I think my pick will be Goliath for this one. Um, the next one I want to talk about is a very interesting fight between uh, Matthias Nicolau and uh, Manel Cape. Obviously, a rematch. Uh, of a a fight they had. Um, let me just get you exactly when this uh, when this fight happened. It happened in ooh, if I can if I can find it here on their record. It happened in twenty twenty one. So it was a it was it was a while back. Let let's put it that way. Um, and it's a very interesting fight. I went back and watched it, and you almost had three very distinct rounds, um, which we I suppose we we will get to here as as we we talk about it. But first of all, for Nicolo. Um, he's an orthodox fighter who is a very orthodox fighter. He kicks the calf. He's good wrestling, good takedowns. Go, I suppose he's good striking at times. And we're, and, and here's, where, I suppose, where we get to the fight, right? So round one, uh, Nicolau took Cape down. Uh, and he was, I'd say he was not that strong on top initially. But when he got the second takedown, Cape was tired. And he was better able to, to kind of um, control on top. So if you're Nicolau and you're looking for a similar thing to round one, we'll talk about the rest of the fight in a second, but 
probably better off pushing Cape against the cage, maybe holding him there for two or three minutes, then getting the takedown. Or ma- just making him run around, make him chase you, make it a little bit tough, right? The second round, Cape we were at that big uh, uppercut, I believe it was. Um, and he did really, really well. He was just landing power punches, throwing at a great pace, but not throwing like... Uh, in the first round, he threw like a, um, a a jump in knee, which got him taken down. I believe it was the second takedown. And the first one was kind of for him throwing maybe a more reckless pressure shot as well. But in the second, it was... The, the pressure wasn't just pressure. It wasn't just one shot, one punch, one knee. It was meaningful combination punching. And he did so well. A higher pace, Nicola was not able to deal with it. And you thought, they actually showed the uh, the betting, I think it was minus 500 entering the third. But then what happened? Cape just fought a slower pace. And Nicola, to talk about his striking, <clears throat> his striking grew as Cape's reversed. So Cape, the second round, bang, 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 bang. The third round, bang, bang, bang. And in between them bangs, there was a bong <laughs> from Niccolo. He was hitting him and hitting him harder in between Cape's shots. And that's why he won the fight, basically. The winning of the fight was... Uh, and a lot of people probably would say the winning of that fight was Manel Cape dropping the pace and not throwing as many punches. He would have won that fight doing that if Niccolo hadn't reacted and thrown his counter punches and been really brave and really confident. And what a performance it was. Like, to be that confident in the third round after getting the head beat off you in the second round, that takes that takes a serious, serious fighter to do that. I always remember Floyd Mayweather saying, what makes a great fighter is, a great fighter is how they can adjust and in fight, how well they can adjust in fight. It's grand to go out and have plan A, but when that wasn't doesn't work, change the plan B and maybe change the plan C before they have time to adjust to plan B. No. Not all those things happened here, but plan A worked, then it wasn't working, and then he had to react to Cape's adjustment from his plan B, and he did that and won the third round, won the fight. It was a brilliant performance. Now, you you look at him, I suppose, in, in their totality, you have um, Cape being the southpaw um, and the orthodox fighter of Niccolo, the good wrestling of Niccolo, the good pressure of Cape and the power, but... It depends what Manel Cape shows up. It's all well and good. Like we, we can we can break down this matchup and go, oh, look, if it's striking and if Cape can put on a pace, he'll win. If Nicolau gets his wrestling going, if he can tire out Cape, get on top, he can win. Right? There, that's that's a pretty simple breakdown of that. But I think it's a little bit more complicated when you have a guy like Manel Cape. Because if he chooses to fight or can fight the way like he did in the second round of that fight, he should really win. And he'll beat most guys in that division, honestly. But if he chooses to fight the way he fought in the third round no, uh, with Nicolau knowing the counter to that, like the literal counter to that, uh, he won't win because it'll, 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 well, he might win, but it'll take a one-punch knockout against the guy who's beating you. So this this all comes down, I think, to Manel Cape. Now, when I say all come down to Manel Cape, if Nicolau can take him down early, pressure him early, and continue to take him down throughout the whole fight... There, maybe there's nothing Manel Cape can do. But let's say that doesn't happen. I really do think it comes down to the confidence level um, of, of Cape. Because you're, you're not confident, and what happens is what happens in the first round and the third round. You either get taken down from a rush, you get taken down from a knee, or you get outstruck. 
Um, and that's exactly what he, what, you know, honestly, what he doesn't want to do. Now, he's had a few fights since then. He's looked better. He's performed better. Uh, and maybe, you know, he's a big favorite here, minus 200 plus 150. I'd probably go for Cape to turn it around here. Like, it doesn't take a whole lot for him to turn around what he did badly in that first fight. So let's let's go with Cape, but not with any assurity at all. And you know what? Maybe this pick will be different on the betting show as well. We will uh, <laughs> We will see on that one. Uh, then we have Jim Miller versus uh, Gabriel Benitez. A really fun fight this one is. Went back and watched a couple of Jim Miller's fights. Not that I really needed to, but do you know what the real reason I went back and I watched Miller's most recent fight? I just wanted to see, was there any signs of him being shot or being old or anything like that? You know, I did the same with Arlovsky earlier on. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Colby, we saw him and he looked a little bit older, a little bit shot. You know, obviously Tony Ferguson and others. But honestly, Jim Miller just doesn't look it. He looks in great shape. He looks f- like he looked fast in that fight. And obviously, when you go in there and you knock your opponent out in twelve seconds or whatever it was, you're going to look good. But he looked he looked like he was countering at a faster rate than his younger, fast opponent. You know, so that's really good. So we analyze Jim Miller, and I need think we need to analyze him on that. He, he, he you know, we don't need to analyze Jim Miller as an old man, right? We don't need to analyse him like Tony Ferguson or like someone, you know, Frankie Edgar in his recent fights or Marlon Morris or whatever, even though Morris maybe not isn't old, but you get what I mean. Um, <coughs> Miller has looked good. He is good. And now he has, like, the the abundance of uh, bandwidth in the brain that will help him even more in those fights. So that's the first thing I need to say. The second thing is just how he's fighting recently. So, again, fighting out of the southpaw stance, throwing more power, um, always moving in that stance as well, which is something you would think at maybe the latter end of your career that you wouldn't be doing, right? Conserve that energy, do what you need to do, whether it's the grappling or striking or whatever it might be. But he, I think he has such great cardio, he can do that. And only people with great cardio can do that. And, and like what, I, what I'm talking about is literally just the movement, just the movement in your stance. Um, it also allows him to jump on subs and go for takedowns, because like if you didn't have that and you you know you were worried about getting tired, you were worried about blowing your arms out or whatever, you wouldn't do it. But Jim Miller does do it, and it rarely, you know, doesn't pay off for him. Um, another few things about Miller that I've noticed just watching him back recently, I would say an underrated top game. We all think of Miller and go, oh yeah, he's a very good submission artist, but he does have an underrated top game as well, just just in terms of getting down there. He's good takedowns off leg kicks as well. He loves getting his hips up, you know, when he's on top of a guy and really making it tough for them. Nice ground and bound, as always, I'll mention again, dangerous at subs. Benitez on the other side of it then, also a southpaw. Um, a, a, a very good low kicker, good guillotine as well, like Miller has, but loves a scrap, you know, um... He moves a little bit like Miller, but instead of kind of moving a lot on the outside and kind of, you know, maybe with fence or maybe, you know, maybe putting a guy off in terms of what he's going to come in with, Benitez comes in with it. He moves in and he moves out and he moves in and he moves out. Whereas Miller might move on the outside and then move in type of thing. Um, I would say he's extremely brave in the pocket an improving clinch game, and absolutely relentless when the fight uh, hits the ground. He's like, he's one of those guys you go back and you watch some of his fights, and he's a, he's a joy to watch, a very fun fighter to watch. The betting is close in this one. Uh, Benitez is just about the favourite. 
And I, I think the problem here for Miller is Benitez is going to be able to take his shots and he's going to be very relentless with those attacks, as I mentioned. Um, I don't think like the fence on the outside and the movement on the outside is going to be bought as much by Benitez. And I think, as I, I said, you know, Miller is not old and he, we shouldn't treat him as an older fighter, but there's only so much damage you can take. And if someone like Benitez puts a lot of damage on you over two to three rounds, going to be hard to hold up for that for someone at Miller's, the stage of Miller's career. So I will pick Benitez in that one. Um, we'll, uh, we'll talk about Ricky Simon versus Mario Bautista. Um, and these are two lads who, again, uh, a little bit like the, the Jim Miller fight, they're similar but with slight differences. Ricky Simon, watching back his fight with Jack Shore, such an interesting fight because, you know, he has that high guard. He whips in that right hand. He loves to get underneath for takedowns. Um, throws lots of shots for, for the pocket, but many of them kind of aren't to land. Many of them are like 30% punches to kind of draw people in. But then sometimes, and I, I, don't, know, I don't know whether many fighters like this, he almost throws fake punches at times, and then he throws the real ones. And you don't know what's coming. <laughs> Is it going to be 100% Ricky Simon big right hand, which he landed on Jack Shore? Uh, or, or is it going to be, you know, the little, the, the little one of him? You know, <laughs> what's it going to be? Um, which is tough. It must be very tough for people to deal with. Um, and you know, the, the one thing I love most about Ricky Simon. he continues to go for takedowns. Most fighters go in there with a game plan like, okay, What's the bit? I'm fighting a striker here. What am I going to do? I'm going to take him down, right? I'm going to be relentless. going to take him down. You get to minute four round one. They've gone for three takedowns. All three have failed. And then they don't go for another takedown for the next, what did I say? Did I say minute four? 11 minutes, 12 minutes, whatever it is. Those, to me, are some of the most frustrating <laughs> fighters in the world. Because you're just thinking to yourself, right? Okay. If, if, you're playing, if you're playing a game of American football and you don't get a touchdown, you just stop going for touchdowns? If you're playing a game of soccer, you don't get a good goal. Do you just stop trying to score? Like, keep going for it. I understand if something, if you're doing something and it's working against you and you're getting maybe, you're getting kneed up through the middle when you go for takedowns, you may need to change things up. But do it in a different way. Adjust yourself, you know. Instead of attacking the left leg, attack the right leg. In, instead of attacking a double leg, push him against the cage and try a trip, try a counter takedown. Try something. You know, a lot of people don't, and I love the fact that Ricky Simon does, and it's a big part uh, of why his game is so effective and so good. But this on the other side of it, then he fights out of the MML lab, so you know he's going to be a well-rounded, good fighter. I would say he's a slightly wilder version of, of Ricky Simon. He fires in that right hand too, but more constantly, I would say, than Ricky, and with that 100% tact on it most of the time, a switch stance fighter. Um... He likes the small punches before the big punches more in the pocket, I think, than Ricky. Whereas Ricky kind of, he he, he draws big small punches, if, if that if that makes any sense. And I, I don't know if it does. But um, I just think a little bit of, of Bautista's issue is he becomes a little, bit, a little bit too predictable. You know, you don't know from Simon if you're going to get the big punch or the light punch. But you know from Bautista you're going to get the big punch all the time. If it's that big right hand, he's opening up on it. You're getting that opened up right hand, you know. Um, he hits harder when he connects, but I, do you know what the big issue for him as well? He just throws one punch way too much. I feel like if he was to double up on punches, I feel like if he was to uh, throw in combination, he would be a lot better. He is the underdog here, minus uh, sorry, plus one ten, plus one twenty ish, minus one fifty for um, 
for Simon and I do like Simon and this. As I said, I'll have a. Uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'll have the, the betting show this week. Actually, we might be back with the betting show next week. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll throw. I, I've thrown in the prices here and I'll throw in a few bets maybe as well. Uh, the last card in on the main card, um, and I'm recording this a little bit early, so maybe uh, maybe the, the cards have switched around a little bit. Actually, I was looking in two different places, and the cards are different. But what I believe is the last fight in the main card is Phil Hawes versus Bruno Ferreira. And I've always been fascinated with Phil Hawes, lads. I'll tell you the truth. 12-5 and five now in his career. And do you ever have a fighter where you see him a couple of times, you're like, ah, this guy is going to be the champion. <laughs> you know, this guy is just unbelievable. Like, I know a lot of people did it with uh, Roger Huerta back in the day. Or I remember one fighter I famously did it was uh, Tom Ducanois. And, like, okay, I've got it right a couple of times as well. The likes of Habib and the likes of, you know, uh, Silgan and, and a few more as well. I don't always get it wrong, but... Phil Haas is one of those guys that, okay, maybe I didn't say he'd be a champion, but I was like, this guy is going to be a really, really good fighter. And I wasn't the only one, to be fair. A lot of people did. He was fighting out of Jacksons at the time, and a lot of people, you know, thought a lot of him. But it just hasn't really worked for him, has it? He, he Like, he did hit... He won, like, what, like, seven fights in a row there at one stage? Um, you know, getting uh, won one in Bellator and then after the Dinner Point Contender Series and then came back to the UFC with a couple of wins. And it looked like it was turning up, but then he's lost three of his last four, only beating Deron Wynn, got knocked out heavily in all three of those fights, if we're being honest. And, like, where does he go to now? This is probably last chance alone if he doesn't win this fight. I think he'll no longer be in the UFC. But you can look at Phil Hawes and not be like, this guy has unbelievable power he's there is something about him like there's something about him that greatness could come from him but like he has to get all the bad parts out first and uh, you know it, it needs uh, do you know what I, I always thought about Phil Haas I was thinking about it, uh, someone recently Mark Henry I haven't heard you know Mark Henry used to be a really great coach I haven't heard much from him lately I'm sure he's still training lads and all but I always thought about Mark Henry, like, I, I don't think he was the greatest, maybe, corner man in the world, or the greatest, you know, um, um, whatever you want to say, and a, a weak, fight weak coach, or, or you know, in, in, in soccer, we have we've managers and we've coaches, right, I don't think he'd be the best manager, but I thought he was a fantastic coach, you saw fighters going to his gym, and suddenly they're jabbing better, suddenly they're defensively better, they might have the best game plans and all of that, but they are very well coordinated fighters I think Mark Henry would be a perfect for a guy like Phil Hawes I, re- I really do something you know someone like that to just you know or, or a, a Matt Hume or someone like that they would just be brilliant for Phil Hawes but I feel like he's he kind of had that initially I suppose with Jackson's but you know people talk about Jackson's maybe what it isn't what it once was but I feel like he just doesn't have that anymore and what he's meeting here in Bruno Ferreira is his nickname I just saw it's the Hulk and that's a good description of him um he looked good and he's short uh, sorry he looked good on um uh his uh, it was his UFC debut last time out wasn't it it's uh no he two fights and uh he he won in his UFC debut against Gregory Rodriguez and that's the fight he looked really really good in you know he just put him out with a big shot basically and that's the type of fighter he is uh, his his record ten and one, ten finishes, um, and he is a beast of a fighter. Do you know, he reminds me a little bit. He reminds me a little bit of in shape anyway. Maybe not in fighting in the way he fights of uh, of Kelvin Gastelum. You know, he's a southpaw, but he switches, moves really fast, 
op- he's open an awful lot. Not maybe not the best defensive fighter in the world. Gets caught a lot. That's why I think there is hope for Phil Hawes in this fight. But he's some lovely leg kicks. Um, he looks like he's going to knock you out at all times. That's the type of fighter Bruno Ferreira is. And if you do make a mistake, you're gone. So this is the type of fight that if Phil Hawes has his head screwed on, he can absolutely win it. But if he makes that one mistake, he absolutely will lose it and lose his consciousness. Consciousness? Consciousness. Consciousness to go along with it. Um, very close in betting. Um, Hawes is actually the favourite here. Minus 125. Uh, Ferreira, minus 105. Uh, I think I'm going for Ferreira as the pick in that one. But uh, <laughs> someone's getting blasted out of there. That would be my change or guarantee that someone's getting blasted out of there. Um Right, let's look at the undercard. There is a fight that I really, really love on this undercard. But before that, uh, just to run through a couple of them, uh, Andrew Arlovsky against Waldo Cortez Costa. Watching uh, Waldo Cortez Costa, sometimes I, I watch a heavyweight and he's a ten and one, and I, I, I have this, um, I have this maybe stereotype of what heavyweights are, and I think like they're not that good. But if they hit you hard, they'll knock you out. And after watching a bit of Cortez Acosta, this is a great compliment, but I think he's slightly better than your regular heavyweight, right? And will that be enough to beat a 44-year-old Andrei Arlovsky coming off of two losses against similar guys? Maybe a little bit worse. Um, I think it probably will be, yeah. Um, He's a massive favorite at minus 400 plus 275 for Arlovsky. I just watching a little bit of Arlovsky's recent fights. Now, never write off Arlovsky because he could absolutely go in there and split decision a win here and not get touched for the fight. But he just looked a little bit more prone, literally prone, but a little bit more prone to taking shots recently. A little bit more prone to like being a bit slower, a little bit less <coughs> controlled, I suppose you would say. Uh, and if that happens, if that is the case with Arlovsky and it's gotten worse... Um, Cortez Acosta absolutely has the power to knock him out the salsa by he's pl- he's plenty of sugar on those hands and uh, you know he, he's knocked out the likes of uh, Lucas Breski I was watching that fight last time out look he's lost the decisions as well on his record and if he does get drawn into that fight let's see what happens but I do uh, like as much as much as I love the Andrei Arlovsky decision bet um, I will be going for Car- Cortez Acosta to win that mainly because look Arlovsky's just going to come out there and try to control him, try to jab him, try to kind of hide that chin and put the right hand behind it and move away. But I feel like Cortez Acosta, what he's really good at, and why I say he's slightly better than your normal heavyweight is, his ability to kind of step inside while not making himself like completely open to either get the head jabbed off him or to either counter-strike is something that most heavyweights don't have. He can kind of double step inside and bang that right hand through the middle. And honestly, that might be enough to, to win this fight. Um, so I'm picking him here. Um, there's an interesting fight as well between uh, Marcus um, uh, McGee and uh, and Gaston Balanos. Uh, McGee at 8-1 and one and Balanos at 7-3 and, and three coming in here. Um, uh, McGee has had a few UFC fights now. He beat JP Boys. 
uh, and he beat Johnny Newsom. Like he's an absolute finisher. Eight wins, um, uh, eight finishes. He's thirty three years of age now as well, so he kind of needs to catch that train. I think his opponent thirty one years of age. He's you know won his uh, UFC opener after coming straight over from from Bellator, and you know again a finisher six wins. Um, in in his six finishes, in his uh, in, in his seven wins, I like I like both of them. I like their both of their styles. Um, McGee is is a big favorite at minus three three three, and I can see why. I just think maybe at five foot eight, uh, and five foot seven, these guys are two you know two pretty big guys at one thirty five, and maybe maybe that extra little bit of power. That McGee has, he the likes of Belanius may, may not be used to seeing that being a bigger guy in the weight class, and maybe it'll str- be a little bit of a struggle for him. Honestly, watching these two guys, it was it was hard enough for me to get a read here. I do like the fact as well. There's a lot of guys from the MMA lab here preparing for this, and McGee uh, is is one of those guys as well. And I just think maybe a good, well-rounded fighter might have just the edge in this one over Belanius, but that's probably my. My weakest pick, honestly, in in this car uh, card, I, I have a strong enough pick for Norman Demont over uh, over Yana <laughs> Santos. Um, the uh, the betting on that one is uh, is also wide minus three three five ish for Dumont plus two fifty for Santos. Like I went back uh, because um, both of them were on the card, but Yana uh, Santos and uh, and Kelly Vieira, and not a classic fight, but. Watching that, it shows the best and worst of Santos. I think she struggles against better athletes, uh, but also she's tough and she's hard to beat. And if she's not completely outclassed, she'll be in it. I just think Dumont will outclass her. Like I really, really like Norma Dumont. Again, she's kind of an in-betweener there in, in the divisions. You know, she wanted to fight. She was fighting for a long time at Featherweight, but now Bantamweight. Uh I th- I think she missed weight as well, didn't she, recently? But you know, she's on a three fight win streak now. Beat Carl Hossa two fights ago. And look how good she looked a couple of weeks ago. So look, Macy Chison is the only one that's that's beaten her since she lost to Megan Anderson uh in, in twenty twenty. She's beaten Felicia Spencer Aspen Lad. She can't be too far away from a, a title shot whereas Yana Santos, the other side of it then she's lost three in a row. Hosa Home and Aldana, and you really favour Dumont here. <clears throat> I just think if Dumont can stop Santos's will. To beat her. And what I mean by will to beat her is like, don't. Once she's behind, keep her behind. If you can land your strikes, if you can be the faster, more technical fighter, continue to beat her and stop Santos from getting you against the cage or from pushing you down or from getting on top of you. A little bit like Leon Edwards against Covington. Every time Covington tried to chain wrestle with him, Leon was actually the one who won the chain wrestling, got on top, took him down, tried, you know, tried to submit him. That's the sort of thing you need to do if you're the man. Now, maybe not necessarily try to submit her so much or try to, to fight with her on the ground uh, an awful lot, even though, you know, DeMont is one of these weird fighters who has 10 wins, 8 decisions, 2 submissions, no knockouts, but is a very good striker. And every time I watch her, I think, oh, I love her hands and she's powerful. But uh, there's, there's another fighter like that in this card, I believe, uh, who like, I'll get to in a second. But, um, yeah, I, I just fancy DeMont. I, I, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to predict the first first finish of her career in, in this one um and so i have come to my favorite fight of maybe is it of the night is my favorite fight of the night do you know what it is and it's uh Farid basharad versus taylor lapalus oh lordy what a fight this is if i, I feel like 
I feel like maybe I'm in a unique position with uh, with this because obviously Basharad coming out of the UK, but a lot of people know the Basharad brothers now. But Taylor Lapalus didn't haven't been in the UFC, gone out of the UFC, and now back in the UFC. But he's been fighting kind of on the fringe scene and fought an Irish guy in Caelan Lachlan last time out. This guy Taylor Lapalus is 19 and three, and you know he's one fight back in the UFC as I said after you know destroying loads of lads over in Aries and, and TKO and other places. This guy. He's one of the best fighters in the world at 140, uh, 135, sorry. Without a shadow of a doubt. He sh- like, this guy is, is borderline top 15 at the moment and could climb even higher. It's just because he was out of the UFC. And, like, he went out of the UFC off of a win, and he was 3-1 and one in the UFC. So, and this was in 2016. It's not exactly like um, Taylor Lapalus was, you know, losing. He got cut or anything. I think it was a contract issue or something like that. You know, I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but it wasn't on merit he was out of the UFC. And now the fact he's back, like Caelan Ockham was a cage warrior champion last time out. It was on short notice for both of them and all of that, but like he, he beat Caelan uh, and he fought really well in that fight. Like he's such a good all-round fighter, has six submissions, four knockouts, and a dangerous, dangerous guy in all areas. As I said, really hard to beat, really hard out. And Farid Basharat has fought nobody like him so far. He has fought no one close to the level of Taylor Lapalus. And if you want to test, you want to see how good this really good prospect is, well, here you go, and here you have it. And if you want to see how good Taylor Lapalus is, well, here you go as well, because Basharat is very good. Like, he's unbelievable on top. Re- for for a small lad, he's really heavy on top as well. I would say the same for Lapalus, and he's a finisher. You know, he's kind of a pop striker, pop, pop, pop. Yeah, accurate, but maybe not the the biggest power in the world. Um, and you know, Taylor just a beast. He loves to go. Uh, both of them love to go for subs. Obviously, Basharat uh, a, a little bit more considering. You know, he's six submissions out of his eleven wins, only one knockout, but has, as I said, good striking as well. <sighs> I love this fight so much. Farid Basharat is um, a minus one six three favorite, minus one up as far as minus one four five for Lapalus, and get all over that. Like, <laughs> plus, or sorry, plus one four. Did I say minus one four five? I uh, this is a pick 'em fight for me. But if you're giving me plus one four five on Lapalus, I will gladly take that. This might be um, uh, this might be the the end of the initial hype train for Basharat, but I too think Basharat still is a very high ceiling, very young in his career, but at this stage of your career, when you're meeting someone as good as Taylor Lapalus, it is not easy whatsoever. Um, the opening three fights of the, the night then are actually you know, not, not bad as well. Uh, Weston Wilson, a southpaw, big guy for the division fights. I believe he trains in Wonderboy's gym. I think Wonderboy's father was in the corner for the, the fight. I watched him so what do you expect? The karate stance. All about control, but if he gets pushed back it's a big issue for him. He also is not as good defensively, I don't think, as Wanderboy, and he gets hit straight down the middle. Not the best takedown defense as well, but very dangerous if he gets out in the open and, and controls the fight. Um, Gabriel Santos, the other side, then he's 2-0 in the UFC, but God almighty, this poor lad fought Onana and Lerone Murphy. Uh, <laughs> he's two fights in the UFC. That's that's Joy Herbert type of unfair matchmaking there. But a switch stance fighter, nice leg kicks, fast striker, throws spins, goes for subs, power. Um, should be a really good striking fight, honestly. Um, let me just check the the betting on this one. Uh, I would 
Uh, I don't think the betting line is up for this one maybe yet, is it? Uh, it, it is, in fact, and Weston Wilson is a big underdog, minus 770 for, for Santos, plus 470 for Wilson. I think that's about correct, yeah, I, I wouldn't be, uh, maybe maybe a flyer of the week, because Wilson has uh, good striking, but I, I don't think so on that one. Um, then Nicholas Mata against Tom Nolan. Really like this Tom Nolan. He's an Aussie. Uh, I think he's. Uh, uh, let me just check there. He's six and zero, I believe. That's correct. Uh, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Yes, six and zero. And uh, I watched a few of his fights over in Australia. One of which was a mad like knockout. So he opponent had him pushed against the cage, going in on his hips for a takedown, and he kneed him right up through the middle and knocked him out. But the referee started again and because like there was some illegal punch in there or something knocked him out again and ended up winning the fight but um very talented striker he's one of these guys who's like thin and limber and all he doesn't look that powerful but by god he's putting people out of there and uh you know slick on the feet really good fighter Mata in the complete opposite to slick on the feet i would say high hands low output counters though powerful um and he <laughs> he's a fighter who is an all-countering kind of walk you down a little bit but not too much type of fighter uh, who wants you to throw so he can counter you. And I'll tell you what, it'll be manna for heaven from our, for our guy Nicholas Mata because the big trend Tom Nolan will come forward at 23 years of age, born in 2000, I'm so old. Uh, he will throw a lot of shots at him and he'll give him opportunities. And who is going to win? Uh, we will see. I, I, I like Nolan in that one. He is the favourite around minus 200 Mata, plus uh, 160. And in the opening fight of the night, Dennis Bondar is the underdog at minus 132-ish, minus 165 for Felipe uh, Bundes. Um, Felipe, a lot of one-twos, a lot of clinching. Love his foot stomps, actually, in the clinch. But he throws these capoeira kicks as well. Powerful left hook. He was LFA champion. This is his UFC debut. So, um, you know, obviously hasn't tested at this level. And watching Dennis Bodnar, or Bondar even, I love his style. He's so fun, unorthodox, hands up. Then hands down, he's cocky, he talks to you, he's powerful, he kicks, kicks to the body, spinning elbows, all forward motion, spin kicks to the body, really good takedowns as well, but he needs more of them. Like, there's a little bit of the Johnny Walker and Michelle Pereira uh, in Dennis Bodnar in that he is too wild and too mad and too crazy almost. Um, but don't change, because I absolutely love watching him fight. Um... Honestly, uh, I might go for Bandar in this. Uh, I think he's a, a very exciting fighter if he can put it all together. He doesn't always put it all together. That's the thing. And I think, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, let me just check here. 14 and 4 uh, is Dennis Bandar. Um, it's 10 submissions and 4 knockouts. And, like, he doesn't fight like a guy who wants to take the fight to the ground. Although he does it the odd time. But uh, I was surprised to see he has so many submissions. But... Not in another way because he's striking or he's wrestling is so good. I just wonder against a really good striker uh, like Abunez, if he will take him down more. If he does, I actually think he'll win and I, I'll pick him to win. So, um, yeah, that's it. That's my preview for the opening uh, UFC card of the uh, of the year. Some very good prospects on it. Um, a main event that uh, that needs to be done for the, the top of the, the light heavyweight division. And you know what? One for the flyweight division as well. Because Nicolau and Manel Cape, maybe the winner of that could decide the next uh, challenger for Alessandra Pantoja's title. All right, everyone. I will leave it there. My name is Sean Sheehan for Shardog.com, and I'll see you all next time.